following message was recorded live at Three Strands Church. We hope it will bless you, encourage you, and challenge you in your journey of faith. We'd love to pray for you or answer any questions you have. Message us at threestrands.church slash contact. If you're just joining us, we're in part two of this series. We said last week that Jesus talked more about money than he did heaven or hell combined. And so we think it's important just every year uh, we do one series on it at the beginning of each year, kind of looking at what God says about how to handle his resources his way. And so we've entitled this series Smart Money. Uh, last week we talked about keeping our possessions in perspective. If you missed that, you can go back and, and check out that podcast, listen to that sometime. And then today we're going to continue with having a healthy ambition. And so let's just jump right in. Uh, some of you remember a uh, famous talk show host, Oprah Winfrey. She was named after a lady named Orpah in the Bible, in the book of Ruth. But when nobody knew how to spell or pronounce her name, they just started calling her Oprah instead. And for those of you who know her life, you know that she went from like dirt poor beginnings in rural Mississippi to this iconic status as the queen of TV talk show for 25 years. And she's now 70 years old, and she has a net worth of $2.8 billion. Uh, she hosted this regular talk show. She produced movies and TV programs. Uh, she had acting roles in movies like The Color Purple. Uh, she taught a leadership class at Northwestern University. And she even started her own magazine, Oh, it was called, which at that time was the most successful magazine that had ever been launched. And then she shifted from like confrontational to motivational television. And she showed some interest in spiritual things and reportedly gave away millions and millions of dollars uh, to charity. But she was driven, motivated, ambitious, to say the least. But the pressures of managing all of those different interests, it said, left her exhausted and eager to lighten her workload. And I was, as I was reading about her life this past week, I just thought after reading all that, how much was enough? I mean, how much is enough? When does a person say, I have enough money, I don't need any more? Or, or if the motivation's not money, when does a person say, you know, I have enough influence, I don't need any more? I mean, where does ambition, which simply means a strong desire to do or achieve something, where does a healthy ambition end and ego begin? Bruce Springsteen saying, Poor men want to be rich, rich men want to be kings, and kings ain't satisfied until they rule everything. You know, the desire to have more and more is instinctive in all of us, regardless of how much that we have. Now, properly channeled, that desire can motivate people to accomplish some wonderful things in life. But listen, ambition out of control, it can consume our time, it can create stress, it can destroy relationships, and it can separate people from God. Jesus talked about a rich farmer in Luke uh, chapter 12 and verse 18 who had this record harvest when he said this. He said, I know, I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. Then I'll have room enough to store all my wheat and other goods. And I'll sit back and I'll say to myself, my friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Now, take it easy. Eat, drink, be merry. 
But God said to him, you fool, you will die this very night, and then who will get everything that you work for? Guys, we need to have a desire for something more than the things of this world. And we talked about King Solomon uh, last week. We're going to continue with that today because he had a lot of wisdom to share with us about what a healthy ambition looks like. In the books of Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, we're going to dig out some of his wisdom today. Because if we're going to be good managers of God's resources, we must allow God's word to kind of keep our ambitions in check. And so what I want to do is I just want to share three lessons that Solomon teaches us about how to have a, a healthy ambition. And the first one is this. A lot of notes today for you, you note takers. A healthy ambition is God-given and it should be encouraged. Proverbs 6, verse 6 says this. Take a lesson from the ants, you lazy bones. Learn from their ways and become wise. Though they have no prince or uh, governor or ruler to make them work, they labor hard all summer, gathering food for the winter. And you know, maybe Solomon singled out the ant because the ant just works hard all the time to store up and provide for its family. I mean, he sure didn't say take a, take a lesson from the English bulldog, I'll tell you that, right? That's the laziest animal on the face of the planet, I'll tell you that. But no, he said take a lesson from the ant. And so God designed us to be ambitious, to accumulate, to achieve. Um, you remember, in fact, in Genesis, when God placed Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, even before they sinned, you remember he gave them work to do. They were to take care of the garden. And so work was not a curse. It's when they sinned that their work became more difficult, and that became the curse. But however, God created his people to be ambitious enough to work and improve their conditions. And that's why so often God would call people to serve him. He chose people who were already working. Think about Moses, who was herding sheep. He called Gideon, who was threshing wheat. David, who was watching his father's flock. Elijah, it says, was plowing a field. Nehemiah was serving in the king's cabinet. Amos was picking figs. Matthew collecting taxes. James and John were fishing. Right? And in Matthew 5.14, you remember Jesus commended the five-talent and the two-talent man who doubled their investment. You remember what he told them? He said, well done, good and faithful servant. He was pleased uh, that they, had, they were ambitious enough to multiply what they had. And Jesus even said in John 5, 17, he said, my father's always working and so am I. So guys, when we are ambitious enough to work, we're being like God. And you know, there are some positive results of having a healthy ambition. And the first one is this. Ambition gives us a sense of dignity and fulfillment. Look what Solomon said in Ecclesiastes chapter 3. He said, and people should, should eat and drink and enjoy the fruits of their labor. Why? For these are gifts from God. Now, in our culture, I realize that there are many people who don't labor, don't work at all, and they would rather live off the government. I get that. 
But listen, I'm not talking about those people who are truly in need of government assistance. Don't send me dirty and nasty emails later. But many people do take advantage of the system. You see, when you and I are given a gift and we have the opportunity to do a job well, there's satisfaction in that. There's a sense of dignity that comes as a result. And if you find yourself in a situation where you no longer need to work, uh, maybe you're, you inherited money, or maybe you sold your business for a lot of money, or maybe you're retired, that is a potential blessing. But it can also be a potential curse. You better find some meaningful goals that will challenge your instinctive ambitions. Or listen, life will lose much of its dignity and significance for you. You know, I plan on retiring in about three years, but I want to serve at this church as much as I can for as long as I can, because I want to do something significant, not just sit around the house all day. The second thing is this, ambition motivates us to provide for our family. Look at it in 1 Timothy 5.8. It says, but, but those who won't care for their relatives, especially those in their own household, this is strong stuff here, but it says, they have denied the true faith. Such people are worse than unbelievers. Okay, I didn't write it, I just read it, but that's what the God's Word says. And as surely as birds bring back crumbs of food for their infants in the nest, a parent with any conscience at all will provide for the basic needs of their children. You know, I remember years ago, back when I was uh, interim pastoring at Pinot uh, Southern Baptist Church, after service one Wednesday night, as I was leaving, a man and what looked like his teenage daughter and infant grandchild, they approached me in the parking lot there and asked if I would buy their child some diapers, if our church would, if we would. And he wasn't really polite at all, but I'm sure the situation made him, you know, uncomfortable as we, we briefly talked. And, and I briefly thought, you know, what a parent will do for their child who's in need. And then right after I agreed to help them, as I was walking away, he said in this tone, and make sure they're huggies, is what he said. And I thought, okay, we're done here. All right, beggars can't be choosers, you know. And then I learned later on that that so-called gentleman had done the same thing at several other churches, and he took the huggies that they had given him, returned them to Walmart for cash to go buy drugs, and that really wasn't his daughter after all. But I tell you that because there are some parents and grandparents who would give anything uh, to provide for their children and their grandchildren. They have a healthy ambition to work late into their lives to provide for their families. You know, I hope I've passed down that kind of strong work ethic to my kids. And hopefully we'll be able to leave them and their children an inheritance someday because of a healthy ambition. Because my dad passed that down to me. Look at Proverbs 13, 22. It says, good people leave an inheritance to their grandchildren, but the sinner's wealth passes to the godly. Another thing is that ambition enhances our testimony as Christians. 1 Peter 2, verse 12 says this, Be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. Then, even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your what? Honorable behavior 
and they will give honor to God when he judges the world. You know, to be honest, people don't respect lazy people, do they? I mean, it doesn't matter how attractive you are, how talented you are. If you coast on the job, you lose your credibility with people. You lose your testimony as a Christian. But if you have a good work ethic, you know, you show up early every day, you you go to work on time, you do more than is expected of you, you get along well with your coworkers, you respect your employer, then you earn the right to be heard. And that's why the Bible says in Colossians 3.23, work willingly at whatever you do, as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. You know, I heard about a man who visited a church and he, and he told the pastor when he got there, he said, this is my first time here and I came at the invitation of one of your deacons. He said, he works for me. And he said, you know what? If every one of my employees worked the way that he did, he said, my job would be a dream. And no wonder when that employee invited him to come to church, he was willing to come. You see, his work ethic earned the right to be heard. A healthy drive, a healthy ambition, listen, it enhances our credibility. Another thing is this. Ambition enables generosity. It enables generosity. 2 Corinthians 9.11 says that if we give generously, it says, yes, you will be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. And when we take your gifts for those who need them, they will thank God. Guys, if our incentive is is to work harder so that we can just accumulate more and more stuff for ourselves, eventually that's going to lead to a sense of futility. But if our motive is that we want to earn more so we can give more away, that ambition is healthy and it honors God. Dallas Willard wrote a book called The Spirit of the Disciplines in which he says that there's nothing spiritual about poverty. He says, there are some very poor people whose heart is hard towards the gospel, the good news. And he says, there's some very rich people whose heart is hard towards the gospel. There's nothing spiritual about being rich, he says, and there's nothing spiritual about being poor. But he says, if we're ambitious enough to work, then we can give to the poor and we can help them out. But if we're poor, we have nothing to give. That's why in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9, it says, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the best part of everything you produce. Then, what? He will fill your barns with grain. Your vats will overflow with good wine. In other words, Jesus said, If you give, it will be given back to you. You know, when I, when I was a teenager, my dad taught me to tithe. And so from a very early age, I gave 10% of whatever I got back to God. If I got $10 allowance, I was just taught to give a dollar back uh, when I got to church. But then when I got my first job as, as a college student, it was easy to tithe because that's what I'd been taught to do. That's all I knew to do, you know. And if you begin that way, it's easy. It doesn't seem like much of a sacrifice if you've done that uh, your whole life. But years ago, I read when Pastor Rick Warren out in Saddleback in California that he reversed ties and that he gives away 90% of his income. And I was like, oh my goodness, holy guacamole, Batman, 90%. That is crazy, you know? Now, 
God enabled him to write a best-selling book as well called The Purpose Driven Life, and he lives off of the royalties of, of that book, so he's still doing well. But he gives away all of his pastor salary, 100% of it, and that's still impressive, you know, anybody giving away 90% of everything they make. But it's true that when we give, it will be given to us, Jesus said. So ambition is healthy, and it needs to be encouraged. A second lesson that Solomon teaches us about ambition is this. A lack of ambition is sinful, and it should be resisted. You know, Solomon had nothing nice to say towards lazy people. Look at it in Proverbs 10, verse 4. He says, lazy people, well, they're soon poor, but hard workers get rich. Proverbs 12, 24, work hard and become a leader. Be lazy and you'll become a slave. Proverbs 13, 4, lazy people want much, but they get little. But those who work hard will prosper. Guys, when we read through Proverbs, we see that Solomon gives us several characteristics of lazy people. So you young people in the room, okay, those of you who are not married yet, I want, I want you just to make a note, write these down if you need to. But if the person you're dating has these characteristics I'm about to mention, don't marry them. Don't marry them. They will keep you on the edge of bankruptcy your entire life. And listen, you'll thank me later, okay? They, get, they may get mad at you today and they may call me later on, but, but my guess is they're probably too lazy to do even that, to make that call. So, um, but take note of these characteristics of what the scriptures call a sluggard or a bum, okay? The first thing is this, you ready? They can't ever get started or motivated. In college, they usually miss a ton of classes. On the job, they're always late for appointments. On Sunday mornings, they usually go to church at Bedside Baptist or St. Mattress, okay, one of the two. Proverbs chapter six, verse nine says this, but you lazy bones, how long will you sleep? When will you wake up? A little extra sleep, a little more slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. Then poverty will pounce on you like a bandit. Scarcity will attack you like an armed robber. Another one is this. They seldom finish anything. Proverbs 12, 27. Lazy people don't even cook the game they catch. But the diligent make use of everything they find. In other words, the lazy person likes to hunt. That's the fun part, right? But cleaning what they killed, building a fire, you know, prepping the food, roasting the food, that's the hard part. That's, that's the tedious part, and it never gets done. And so these people may have a lot of good intentions, but they seldom finish anything. So there are a lot of unfinished projects around the house, a, a lot of difficulty persevering when the job gets tiresome. Another characteristic is this. They are full of excuses. Just full of excuses. Proverbs twenty-two thirteen, The lazy person claims, there's a lion out there. If I go outside, I might be killed. Today, that may sound like, man, I just can't find a job. It's a jungle out there. And you ask me, like, well, where all have you applied? Well, nowhere yet, but I'm looking, you know. Or, I just had to quit, man, it was killing me. You know, I didn't go in for a week because the pollen count was up and my allergies were just awful. Or, it's Friday and nobody likes to work on Friday. 
Or it's Monday, and, and you know after the weekend I had, I just couldn't bring myself to go in. Or, well, it was Super Bowl Sunday, and I was getting ready for the party later on that evening, so there's just no way I could have made it to church that morning. Full of excuses. Another characteristic is they seem to get a lot of bad breaks. Okay, they seem to get a lot of bad breaks. They've got this victim's mentality. Proverbs 15, 19. A lazy person's way is blocked with briars, but the path of the upright is an open highway. Guys, nothing goes right for the lazy person. You know, wouldn't you know it, I, I had a flat tire on the way of the interview and it made me late. The, the boss and I just didn't hit it off. You know, he's an introvert. I'm an extrovert. I should have known from the beginning. Or, you know, I just drank one beer during my break, and evidently that's a big no-no, you know. I mean, everybody else does it. I'm just the one that got caught. Well, guys, everybody experiences some bad luck on occasion. But listen, the lazy person, they bring it upon themselves. And they never make the connection between their behavior and those consequences that continue to happen. No, they think they're just unfortunate. They think they're a victim. But in reality, they are the ones responsible. Another characteristic is that they're all talk. They're all talk. Proverbs 14, 23 says, Work brings profit, but mere talk, well, that leads to poverty. Lazy person, they can talk a big game. They have learned how to sound impressive. But when it comes to the grind of sweating it out every single day, they disappear. They're gone. Another one is this. I'm giving you several here. They have unrealistic dreams. Unrealistic dreams. Look at it in Proverbs 28, 19. A hard worker has plenty of food, but a person who chases fantasies ends up in poverty. Now, guys, it's great to have dreams. If it weren't for big ideas, we wouldn't have this church. We wouldn't have the Internet. But the lazy person, they dream of like easy money without any effort whatsoever. And their dreams are unrealistic. They're going to win the lottery someday. They're going to get rich at sports betting. They're going to make it in the NBA, so there's no need for a backup plan in college. No, they're going to Hollywood to be a movie star. They're going to Nashville to be a popular country music singer. And their dreams are not preceded by much work. And they're unrealistic. Somebody once said, the ladder of success is like any other ladder. Very few have climbed it with their hands in their pockets. You got a word for those dreams. And the last one I'll mention is this. The Bible says they get on people's nerves. They get on people's nerves. Look at it in Proverbs 10, 26. Lazy people irritate their employers like vinegar to the teeth or smoke in the eyes. You know, vinegar leaves a bad taste in our mouth, doesn't it? When smoke gets in your eyes, it burns and it irritates. And some people just get on everyone's nerves and it irritates people. I mean, you tolerate it, but it's difficult. And so listen, young people, if you are dating the person that I just described from the scriptures, if they have like more than half of those characteristics, you know, four or five out of seven, you should probably break up with them. I'm just being, being honest, okay? Now listen, 
If you're married to that person, okay? If you're married to that person, don't break up with them, okay? Don't do that. First, you should pray about it and then pray for them. And then after that, you just nag them relentlessly, okay? Just don't stop nagging. I'm just joking. That's not in the Bible. In fact, Solomon says this in Proverbs 27, 15. He says, a quarrelsome wife is as annoying as a constant dripping on a rainy day. Stopping her complaints is like trying to stop the wind or trying to hold something with greased hands. I didn't write it. I just read it, okay? Uh, and then you read that, and you're like, but Solomon, he's, if he's lazy, he deserves it, right? Drip, drip, drip is what you sound like, okay? Uh, but that's from Solomon, the wisest guy who ever lived. So, Parents, it's very important that we teach our children to work, that, that we teach them the value of earning money, that it's not just going to be handed to them. Proverbs 22.6 says, direct your children onto the right path. And when they are older, they won't leave it. And you know, part of that directing, that training, is instilling in them that being lazy is sinful. And a healthy motivation is from God. Third thing is this. Uncontrolled ambition is dangerous, and it must be restricted. Ecclesiastes 7.18. Pay attention to these instructions for anyone who fears God will avoid both extremes. So we're to avoid the extreme of laziness on one hand, but we're also to avoid the extreme of being over-the-top ambitious on the other. And guys, just like there are guardrails on a curvy mountain road, so there are a couple of spiritual guardrails or restrictions against uncontrolled, unrestrained ambition I want to share with you. And the first one is this. Guys, ambition must be restricted by our love for family. By our love for family. Proverbs 15, 27. It says, greed brings grief to the whole family, but those who hate bribes will live. I remember back in 2004 uh, when I uh, quit what I thought back then was my dream job. A couple of years before, I'd landed the job that I thought I would be doing for the rest of my career. Uh, but during the next 24 months, I seldom saw my kids. They were real little at the time because the job uh, was just it, it, to do it with excellence combined with my OCD. It just required a lot of time to do it that way. And finally, I just hit a breaking point to where I had to choose between what I thought was my dream job and my family. And I did the right thing. I've not always done the right thing in this area, but I did the right thing then and I resigned from coaching. And I remember that when the newspaper interviewed me and they asked why I had resigned, I remember saying this. I said, because there are many people who can lead this baseball program, but there's only one dad to my kids, and I'm going to go choose to be a dad. And you know, God has since worked all that out for my good because I enjoy my job now even better. And I've also learned over the years to be more balanced at work and at home. And I wasn't back then. I was way out of balance. Ecclesiastes 4.8 says this. This is the case of a man who was all alone, without a child or a brother, yet who works hard to gain as much wealth as he can. But then he asks himself, who am I working for? Why am I giving up so much pleasure now? It is all so meaningless and depressing. In other words, guys, what good are all of the possessions in the world 
if there's no time to build relationships with the people we love? What's it matter? He says it's just meaningless. It's depressing. You know, the priority of family must always take precedence over our ambition for things or for status. I also remember reading a book by then by Andy Stanley called Choosing to Cheat was the title of the book. And the publisher didn't like it. They've since made him change the name. But back then, that was the title. And I remember reading this. He said, there are only 24 hours in a day. We're never going to get done everything that we need to get done. Everybody cheats somewhere. Don't cheat at home. And he's not referring to actually cheating, but he's talking about the time that we spend at these various places. And so, you know, sometimes, guys, we have to limit the amount of time that we spend on the job. And that may mean for some of you, you know, at 5.30 in the evening or 6 o'clock, just say, you know what, that's it. I'm finished. I'm done. Lord, I've done all I can do today. That's the best I can do. And you walk out of there. And the reason you walk out of there is because the people at home are more important to you than what's going on at your job. Now, that's going to vary according to your occupation. I get that. But listen, make a personal rule that you have to balance the proper amount of time at work and at home. If you work hard and you think, I still can't get everything done in this allotted amount of time I've, given, I've been given, then you know what? Maybe you've got more on your plate than God wants you to have. Ever thought about that? Maybe you need to cut back and you just need to learn to trust Him with some things that you can't control. But listen... Our love for our family should take precedence over our ambition for things or, or status. Okay? Next thing is this. Ambition must also be restricted by our love for God. Okay? Not just our family, but our love for God. And this has to do with time and personal integrity. Look at it in Proverbs eleven eighteen. It says that evil people, they get rich for the moment, but the reward of the godly will last. You know, last summer we had a, a leak in our swimming pool, and uh, so I was given the name of this pool guy, I was told, a great pool guy in Somerset, who specializes in finding leaks, is what I was told. And my only warning before I called him was that, just want to warn you, he's a little different, is what they said. Okay, he's a little different. And so when I called him about 30 seconds into that conversation, I knew that they were telling the truth. He was definitely a little different. And after listening for a few minutes on and on about his specialized skills of, of swimming around pools and finding leaks, I just asked him, so, okay, how much do you charge? Okay, and this blew me away. But he charged $175 an hour to find a leak in a swimming pool. $175. And, and just for an hour, and I said, uh, but then he followed that up with this, because I was thinking, I was thinking, man, how many hours is it going to take him to find this, you know? But he said, I usually find the leak in the first 10 minutes. I'm pretty good, he said. And I said this, well, what if you do? What if you do find it in 10 minutes? Is it still $175 for an hour of work if you've only worked for 10 minutes? He said, yep. So I said, well, can I put you to work like shoveling English bulldog manure to the other 50 minutes to kind of make up, you know, so you can earn your full keep there? But no, that wasn't the deal. But there are all kinds of people wanting to make money being shady or, or being deceptive. And our loyalty to God should motivate us to be honest. Proverb warns, uh, Proverbs warns us against gaining wealth by treating people cruel, by being dishonest, 
by employing a double standard, altering documents, it says, accepting bribes, lying, exploiting and oppressing the poor, charging excessively high amounts in interest, and showing partiality. All those are in Proverbs. Guys, our ambition as Christians always has to be controlled by integrity. Money is not important enough to violate the call of God on our lives. It's not that important. Shane King, who goes to church here, I don't think he's here today, but uh, he and I work for the school system. And a few months ago, uh, we had the privilege of meeting with a representative from Renfro Supplies. And they were, uh, this guy was giving us a presentation on this alligator ice machine. It's, it's a hopped up slush machine is what it is uh, to use in our concession stands at athletic events. Well, the salesman, he, he comes into this meeting, I mean, like he owned the place. Okay, he walks in there. He wouldn't give us a prize. He just plopped the magazine down on the, on the table there with the product on it and pretty much just started lighting into us uh, trying to sell the machine. I mean, he said right off the bat, now listen, he said, I'm not going to sell you this machine if you guys aren't going to take care of it. So I'll just tell you, he said, if your concession workers can't take care of it, then you're not getting it. That's what that was his sales pitch, you know. And uh, you would have thought like he was giving away his beloved pet of 10 years who he could no longer take care of and wanted it to have a good home. You know, that's what it sounded like. But uh, it just, it just, you know, I just put my head down because we were just getting lectured pretty much. But then he turns to Shane and our principal, who was also at, at the meeting there, because they must have obviously looked more interested than I did. And he said to them, as he points over at me, and I don't know what this guy over here is thinking, he said, because he doesn't even seem to care, you know, but if you guys want one, I'll make you a deal, he said. Well, we left that meeting and just started cracking up at what we had just encountered because it was probably the worst sales pitch I'd ever heard my entire life. Like, I'm not believing that just happened, you know, but uh, anyway, it reminded me of kind of like that old Seinfeld episode, the soup Nazi, you remember that? When they're in line there and they didn't order properly, he'd kick them out like, no soup for you, remember that? Just get them out of there. That's kind of what it reminded me of. But anyway, the guy's obviously a better salesman than I give him credit for because after that, uh, I bought one machine and Shane bought two. So, uh, but anyway, James is the guy's name. He was the salesman. But since then, James and I have built a good relationship. He'll come to our games at school. He donates a bunch of you know, free stuff, straws and popcorn and Kit Kats and Pringles just so we can sell for a straight profit at all of our athletic events. And he operates his business with integrity. And he'll just come hang out with me at games. He was there Friday night. And he'll just talk about how much he likes the atmosphere and the music and all of it. And he's just a good guy who I had mistaken initially. And so we're buddies now. And I guess, you know, what I'm saying is when somebody comes to me and looks at that slush machine and asks questions about it, guess who I'm going to recommend? I'm going to recommend James. Because he's proven to be a man of integrity. Proverbs 22.1 says this, Choose a good reputation over great riches. Being held in high esteem is better than silver or gold. You know, guys, somewhere along the line, we've got to decide, what am I ambitious for? I mean, what's my main goal in life? C.S. Lewis, John Piper, and others have reminded us that our problem is not that we're overly driven, that we're overly motivated or overly ambitious. No, our problem is that we're not ambitious enough for the things of God, they say. Many people are chasing the things of this world when God, the Bible says, has set eternity in our hearts, in the hearts of men. 
It says in Matthew 6, 19, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth. No, store your treasures in heaven. So guys, let's not chase after the things, you know, um, chase after the things here in this world right now. Let's chase after the things that are going to matter a hundred years from now. And as Christians, our goal in life should not be to become millionaires. All of us would love to be millionaires, but that shouldn't be the goal. There's nothing wrong with being a millionaire, by the way. But our goal should be to have a personal relationship with the Lord, to go to heaven when we die, and to take as many people as we can with us. That should be the goal. Our goal is not to have more and more influence for ourselves. No, our goal is to know Jesus and to guide people to him. And guys, if we do that, then we can say with the Apostle Paul in Philippians 4.11, not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. He said, I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. Now, I've learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it's with the full stomach or an empty one, with plenty or with little. He says the famous verse, therefore, I can do everything through Christ who gives me the strength. You know, my friend Tony Merida and his wife, uh, Kimberly, were in their 30s and probably didn't need a whole lot more of this world's goods, but they were still very ambitious, ambitious to do the will of God. And so they went overseas and adopted four children, one from Africa and three from uh, Ukraine who were siblings. And then he comes back and he writes a book called Orphanology. They were all orphans, which has led, that book has, to hundreds of other children being adopted. And all of those families and all of those little kids are very, very happy that Tony and Kim have had an ambition to do the things of God because their lives were changed forever, forever, all because people had a healthy ambition to follow Jesus. You know, I look around this church. This church is a testimony to people's ambition. You know, uh, one of the people that demonstrate that is our, is our lead greeter, Merle Decker. You know, that guy is 86 years old and nobody walks through the front of those doors of this building without getting a warm greeting from Merle. He makes people feel welcome and he cares when they're not here. And guys, in 20 years, when we finally get this church building built, if it takes that long, I'm sure Merle's going to be the first one in the front with a big smile greeting people with a hug. He's ambitious to make his life count. And I appreciate that about him. So let me just encourage you as we close. Let's keep stretching. Not to be a millionaire, but to have more money to give away. Not to gain more prestige, but to be able to help more people out. I read uh, about a Puritan in prison who was given a little bread and water for the day. And after he was given that, he smiled and he said this. He said, all this and Jesus too. All of this and Jesus too. Be ambitious for the things that really matter. So you and I can say with Paul in Philippians 3.13 this time, no, dear brothers and sisters, I've not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. He said, I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God 
through Christ Jesus, is calling us. This morning, if you want to make knowing Jesus your eternal goal, I pray that you would do that today. Don't put it off. Don't put it off. Admit that you're a sinner like the rest of us. It's real simple. Believe that Jesus died in your place to forgive you of those sins. And then just simply surrender your life to him, making him the boss, the Lord, and your Savior. Would you do that this morning if you've never done that in your life? Would you do that and then go tell somebody about it? It's the most important decision that you'll ever, ever make. Let's stand and sing this last song together as the band comes forward. Let me pray for us. Father, I pray uh, that we would be ambitious, but for the right things. God, give us a drive, a motivation, a passion to follow you in your word. God, help us not to chase things that don't matter, to store up a bunch of stuff here on earth uh, where your word says that they will be destroyed someday. But help us to store up our treasures in heaven, things that truly count and matter. We get one shot at this thing, one life. God, help us not to waste it. And I pray for those who are here this morning and, and they're just on the fence. They're like, man, I know I should, should jump over and, and follow Jesus, but I just don't know. God, would you take away their concerns? Nobody has ever regretted following you. Nobody has ever regretted just jumping in, waving the white flag of surrender and giving their life to you. Everybody we talk to, it's the best decision that they've ever made. And God, we know it. We know it. We've experienced your truth. We've experienced your grace. We've experienced your love. And so I pray for that person this morning that you would just kind of nudge them, push them over the edge and help them to jump in and follow you with their whole heart this morning. I pray that would happen. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. What an amazing challenge from God's Word for all of us. We hope you will start putting everything you've learned in this session into practice. And be sure to subscribe to the 3SC Podcast so you'll never miss any new content. Thanks for listening.